Welcome to the B Note Publishers Cut Podcast with Martin Pratt. And here we're joined by B Note publisher Charles Ellison. Today we're going to talk about what if Obama was still president? How fast would the 25th Amendment been used in a situation like this? Yeah, how you doing, Martin? And that's Good. a fair question. It's a very valid question. Uh, you know, people may not want to bring that question up. It might seem a little bit uncomfortable, right? Uh, because it's it's the past, and no one wants to relitigate the Obama presidency. Conservatives don't want to own up to the fact that they gave Obama a very hard time during his eight years. I mean, they obstructed him on a number of major policy moves and policy achievements or near achievements. And there was a lot of conversation about, you know, and I'm quoting conservatives here, quoting Republicans on Capitol Hill about King Obama and about executive, <laughs> right? We heard that conversation constantly. We were, uh, we were fed that uh, a nonstop stream of like insanity uh, over regarding Obama engaging in executive overreach. And so um, you don't hear that same kind of conversation now with President Trump. You just don't, you know, especially when you're, you're looking at his actions in the White House, you're, you're looking at how he is uh, engaging in, in decision-making and executive decision-making. Clearly, there's a lot of overreach here when he's invoking the National Emergencies Act, and the public really does not realize how significant a deal that is, the, um, the activation of the National Emergencies Act, um, that's beyond the border wall. Um, he actually has very broad power here. He could do any number of things. He could make a, a, a decision on, on any number of issues beyond the border wall by invoking this act. Yeah, so I was watching MSNBC yesterday, and it dawned on me this question because as I listened to the uh, pundit uh, talk about, I think it was from a website called Lawfare, and he was talking about an article he wrote in January, talking about when his obstruction becomes collusion. Right. And to your point, it feels like, well, not feels like, I know for certainty. If Obama had talked to the president of Syria and embraced him the way that um, Trump embraced Putin and had pushed aside the CIA, pushed aside the FBI, pushed aside and, and had private one-on-one meetings in a mosque <laughs> mm -hmm. right <laughs> my mom would have been gone in 45 days you know? <laughs> because they would have said he's he's working against the interests of america right right he's working against the interests of america he's engaging in treasonous behavior right um not only that you know he's definitely not working in the best interests of the United States and and they would look for an expedited process to oust him from office or they would have right so uh, they would have opted in at that time uh, you're looking at or, or during a lengthy period of time or stretch of time uh, you had Republicans in control of both chambers of Congress um, so there either would have been a very expedited impeachment process or someone would have figured out a way to utilize or activate the 25th Amendment in that particular scenario. And the 25th Amendment, so folks can understand, is really more about incapacitation as opposed to incompetence, right? And, and there's a big difference. So, you know, it's, it's very unlikely that we'll see a scenario arise before 
Donald Trump's potential second term where well, people are able to invoke the 25th Amendment because he's not necessarily incapacitated. He's definitely very incompetent, but that's not what the 25th Amendment was designed for. But in the case of Obama, looking at the, uh, the partisan and racial dynamics that were at work back then, oh, they certainly would have found, they would have designed some sort of expedited process to remove Obama from office. And perhaps for a scenario like the one you just described, Obama could have even ended up in jail. Um, on federal charges, or on charges of treason, uh, because he's he's uh, colluding with a geopolitical rival or an enemy of the state. Well, the, so the twenty the twenty five twenty fifth amendment covered treason. You know, is there anything in the Constitution that covers ousting a president because he's treasonous? Not necessarily. I mean, you have both. You know, you have these two vehicles. You have the twenty fifth amendment. Right. And then you have the impeachment process and the impeachment process is much more political. And so and that's really where Congress is supposed to step in with the checks and balances. Congress is supposed to be that check on executive overreach, on executive power. Uh, so naturally, you know, based on the Constitution, uh, in, a, in, a, in a moment like this, where we're faced with this, uh, this activation of the National Emergencies Act by President Trump, Congress should be acting rather swiftly to um, to buffer against that, to 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 essentially uh, to 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 ensure that that's not being abused. Because clearly, it's being abused. Everyone knows, from the average public layman to you know your your policymaker or your lawmaker, legislator on Cap Capitol Hill, everyone knows that this is a manufactured crisis. So clearly, there's an abuse that's happening in the National Emergencies Act. Um, but, you know, in this particular case, Congress is not doing its job. It's not, it's not performing. It's, and, and that's not just in the case of this National Emergencies Act. I mean, there have been other instances as well. Yeah, the shutdown. Uh, the shutdown, the government shutdown, that's supposed to, Congress is supposed to act as a check on the president. Um, clearly, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell did not do that in the first government shutdown because he basically kept saying, well, hey, I'm waiting to see what President Trump's decision is with respect to the border wall, with respect to his demands for $5.7 billion of funding. He's linked this to the operation of the federal government. No, it's your job as Senate Majority Leader to, to, rat, to get your caucus together and to pull the necessary votes together. You team up with Democrats. You override the president's veto, um, which, would, which would have been predictable if they had sent, in, in the first round, they had sent that um, sent that budget to the president's desk. Okay, well, here we have the votes as both Republicans and Democrats, members of Congress, to override this veto to avoid a government shutdown. Clearly, uh, the, the, clearly the Senate did not do that. Clearly, the Senate Majority Leader did not do that. Well, I mean, and and that brings us to, um, you know, part of when I watched this, I was like, this is white male privilege. Uh, on steroids, right? Mm. Because only white men could sit and believe that the, you know, this is not so bad. We're, we're going to be able to ride this out. Mm. Um, when the founding fathers, and I think even in, in the Constitution, the fact that there is no amendment that says a president cannot act against the country's best interests and therefore a president 
should be, uh, be be able to be taken out because of treasonous act shows white male privilege there too because it's like oh we're never we're so good we're never going to act against our own interests why would we do that we're white <laughs> you know it's like there was nothing uh, explicit human. in the constitution right right so yeah. the but the the pundits were like well you know they were really talking about Ro- Ro- Rob Rosenstein and um, what's come out about him uh, and also uh, McCabe and saying that you know hey guys we we may need to figure out a way to get this guy out mm-hmm. and to which was painfully obvious like so they were like whoa he really could you know be be colluding and could be uh uh someone of it some under an agent of a foreign power we need to figure this out you know so that was that was the awakening but the conversation is about it's not that crazy that they would do this because look at what he's doing but it's being very gently stepped around in, in the pundit's world. No one is really coming out to what you just said, even though you didn't forcefully, you know, say, oh, he's, he's got to go. Da, da, da. Slowly, people are white males, mainly. <laughs> A lot of women have been screaming this, you know. Uh, who was it? Anna Ann, Ann Navarra has been screaming it. I uh, can't think of the, the sister, right? Oh, Angela Rye has been screaming it. Maxine Waters has been screaming it. But white men have just got to that point where they're like, well, you know, mm-hmm. there is some this and there. We think that might he might be a little bit on that area where we've got to figure out what to do about him. And the fact that he discussed this, hey, that's not crazy because, look, he is kind of on that. But no one's coming out. White men are, coming, are not coming out against this man. Mm. No, not at all. You know, and he's gotten not just a lot of, uh, lot of latitude, um, from from pundits and from commentators um he's also given a lot of wiggle room by legal experts as well you know you have folks like um uh, who comes to mind like harvard law professor alan dershowitz right you know saying that a sitting president a sitting president can't be indicted you know that he's you, you he's essentially you can he's protected from that kind of um uh that kind of prosecution and so uh, Article three of the Constitution, which covered was I think is Article three, Section three of the Constitution, which covers treason, um, that won't apply to the president uh, in in this particular case. And, and obviously, Article three, Section three is not naming the president. Um, is definitely giving Congress some powers uh, with respect to at least from from the reading with respect to the adjudication of of treasonous activity, but it's not mentioning the president specifically. So, you know, all you have to rely on is the impeachment process and then conviction by the Senate, because don't forget the conviction part, and also the 25th Amendment. But he's getting all this latitude and wiggle room from many analysts, from from commentators, from pundits, obviously on both the left and the right, and also from legal experts and not just from his own lawyers, but also from lawyers who've been tasked with, uh, with exploring uh, whether or not a sitting president can be indicted within his own Justice Department. And it wasn't just his Justice Department that explored that possibility, but it was uh, legal experts or or uh, counsel within previous administrations, Justice Department. So uh, this is this is something that's been discussed for quite a long time, you know, particularly in, in much earnest since uh, since uh, Richard Nixon. Um, and what we're in now is rather unprecedented. And so you do have like the um, the white male uh, pundit world, right, or 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 common commentator universe, uh, definitely uh, relying on that on that that history. You know, first of making the the constant comparisons to Richard Nixon and Watergate, 
Um, and then two, saying, well, a lot of this is unprecedented and nothing's blown up yet. So let's, let's just see how far this goes. <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't want to see how far this goes. We already see it's a train wreck at this moment. It's already chaotic. But uh, it's, it's rather fascinating to watch exactly like how much latitude he's getting as president on 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 the on the legal and constitutional merits of that conversation and in order for this to uh be what the founding fathers really envisioned which was that there would not be a king of america Mm. uh, so do you think that we would have to create another amendment on the constitution uh that specifically talk to treasonous acts by the president specifically talk to and maybe it's not a uh, amendment for this second part maybe it's a convening Mm -hmm. that has to be done to remind these mofos (laughs) that the whole point of this country was that it would not be a monarchy it would be a democracy or a republic Mm -hmm. you you could have a situation like this uh, after this current episode is resolved right so for example, you had back in the uh, the 40s, uh, you had concerns over then President Franklin Roosevelt. Okay, he didn't just get two terms. Um, you know, it was an unwritten rule up until the Roosevelt presidency that presidents would do two terms, but it wasn't explicitly uh, mandated in the Constitution that a president should do two terms. And so it wasn't until 1951 where finally Congress had so many concerns because you have four terms of Franklin Roosevelt and they were like, you know what, we've, we've got to put a stop to this. So Roosevelt out, you know, obviously he had good reason because the United States was entering World War II. That was a major national emergency. And so, you know, particularly with the attack on Pearl Harbor and, you know, you've got, you know, the, the Axis, you know, both the Japanese and the Germans, you know, both, you know, coming at you on, you know, from the Pacific and also the Atlantic, uh, you know, so there was this, this, this real existential threat to the country. So Roosevelt thought, you know, I needed to do what needed to be done. But at that time, obviously, there were a lot of critics uh, in Congress, a lot of critics in the public, and a lot of people who were very concerned about how long this was going to go on for. Um, so they passed the 22nd Amendment in 1951. Uh, you know, even President Truman, who came after President Roosevelt, had concerns uh, about a president having that much time in office. And so, hence the 22nd Amendment. So you can see, you know, that was very recent. 1951 is not too long ago. Um, so it's not a full hundred years ago. So I, you can see a situation here where maybe there's someone taking a, a look, uh, you know, re-examining uh, Article 3 of the Constitution, Article 3, Section 3, as far as treason and adding a sitting president, that this also applies to a sitting president as well. And, oh, you know what, maybe we need to rethink um, yeah. how much a president is vulnerable uh, to, to criminal prosecution. We need to rethink that. We need to change that. And how much they're vulnerable to being manipulated by a smarter uh, agent, or as I like to say in Spy World, actor mm-hmm. in theater, <laughs> because Putin is acting and he is, he is, you know, he's putting on Macbeth. He's putting on almost every Shakespearean play that Shakespeare wrote on different parts of the world. I mean, <laughs> this guy, it's almost like he's playing, three, you know, three levels. We always say three levels, three levels, what Obama did, which was play uh, multi-level chess. Right. Putin, I don't know if he learned from Obama. 
I don't know if KGB taught him because he didn't see he didn't try this with that much with Obama. I mean, it was no way to do it. But I just you know some of this stuff. I mean, he tried little things, but not the not the level of which they're doing. They are Russia is really you know coming at us and coming at not just us but coming at the, the entire globe. Well, it's and and there are two things here, two points um, as well. It's it's happening at a time, you know, or this conversation, uh, this crisis that we're in. You know, this, this, we're really in the constitutional crisis. We're not like about to start a constitutional crisis. We're, we're not looking at a constitutional right. crisis on we're the horizon. Like, no, no, we're in it right now. We've been in it for quite some time. So, uh, you know, let's, let's not fake the funk on that. But, you know, what's really interesting is that all of this is happening at a time when there's been some discussion for quite some time. It, it, it accelerated a little bit during the Obama years, but conservatives have been pushing um, for a constitutional convention, for a way to dramatically reshape and amend the Constitution. That, that, that push, that movement is still going on. In fact, uh, you know, I, I interviewed uh, some of the, the leaders of that movement, particularly on the conservative side, some months ago on WURD on Reality Check. Um, so that, that's something that's happening. That's why you know, they're, they're methodically looking for ways uh, to, to have the majority in state legislatures because you're going to need state legislature approval for that constitutional convention. That's why they're looking for, you know, ways to dominate state government, whether it's in the, um, in the state legislatures, whether it's in the, uh, the governor's mansions, and definitely they want to make sure that they're dominating the Congress, and they're also dominating the federal judiciary as well. So, you know, you have that conversation going on. And the other point here, too, is that the world we live in now, like what you just described, the, uh, the, the activities of geopolitical rivals like Russia, and you can even throw China into the mix. You may even be able to throw North Korea or Iran into the mix. These are geopolitical rivals who clearly don't have um, the, clearly don't have U.S. interests at heart. You know, they're not concerned about U.S. interests. They're not concerned about their own self-interest. They're, they're, there's nation states that, you know, are basically our military, political, economic rivals to the United States. Well, but they're moving very fast. We're moving in a, in a, in an environment, uh, particularly with cyber warfare and the use of digital tools, um, we're, we're, mo- we're in an environment where things are moving very rapidly and, and, and American, good old-fashioned American lawmaking can't keep up with it. Um, legislate, and that was the purpose of the National Emergencies Act in the first place. When, when Congress passed that back in 1976, you know, there was this concern that Congress, that legislative bodies could not keep up you know, could not keep up with the rapid pace of, of change in a, in a very um, active, very frenetic um, and chaotic geopolitical environment. Um, so we have that same environment. The Russians are moving very fast. Um, obviously, they don't have, you know, from Putin's perspective, he's like, well, I don't have the sort of constraints that you have in advanced democracies because I'm a dictatorship. I'm a totalitarian. (laughs) So, you know, but these guys, they they need to do this whole process before they can make a determination on what the next move will be. They need to go through this process. They need to go through checks and balances. They have to check in with the public. They have to have elections. They got to do polling. They got to do this and that. Um, Then they have to go through the whole process. You know, just just getting a law passed, that can take months, years uh, to get done, right? So, um, that that's the other, you know, sort of, uh, you know, very fascinating thing that's going on right now, but, you know, somewhat alarming um, aspect to 
this this moment that we're going through right now is the inability of American policymaking to keep up with these these fast these fast uh, these these rapidly evolving events. Gotcha. Well, this has been a great episode. And I'm looking forward to our next episode. Maybe we can discuss a little bit more about the Constitution convening um, and convention and what has to happen and how black folks need to be a part of that conversation. Um, I, I would dare say, you know, we weren't part of the first one. <laughs> so we need to be part of this one. Right. Right. Exactly. No, it's a very good point. And I appreciate it.